might do a little dance tonight. Hey, this is Bart Campolo, and welcome to The Wonderful Podcast. We are back, and as you know, you may be confused right now, because in this video version, you may be saying, there's an incredibly handsome, bald man on the screen. Wait, there's another incredibly handsome, bald man on the screen. Um, and, and, and that is because, although I am the humanist chaplain at the University of Southern California, I'm speaking to my friend Greg Epstein, who is the humanist chaplain at Harvard University. And to be a humanist chaplain, to be the right kind of humanist chaplain, you must be bald and handsome. I, I can't speak to that, but I will note that at least we've got different facial hair configurations. Just otherwise, I mean, it really would be a problem. And, and also different color schemes behind us. So where, where are we? Where am I? Am I reaching you in your office there at the, at the Humanist Hub? Yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, speaking to you from my little office at the bigger Humanist Hub. We have a center, 3,200 square feet, right in the center of Harvard Square. If you get out of the, the T, our subway at Harvard Square Station, you walk for about 30, 40 seconds, you get to our door, and you come up the elevator, and we've got a whole floor of a, of a nice building here. And, uh, you know, we've got, we have, all kinds of events here every single day, just about uh, great speakers, meditation meetings, uh, discussion groups, uh, book study groups, um, parenting, kids groups, Sunday school, student groups, all kinds of stuff. Just, just every day we've got stuff going on here. It sounds, I mean, it's funny because I've been there, but I was there on opening day. Yeah, 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 and and it was not yet apparent what it would all look, what how it would all come together. My now my impression, like I mean, and and by the way, like the people that will listen to this, like if they want to know like Greg Epstein, like backstory, like that's all out there on the interweb, and mm-hmm. there's a book um, that that was a very kind of a very helpful book to me when I first was trying to figure out like, what kind of humanist ministry would look like. I read your book, Good Without God, and that was kind of this very eloquent sort of statement of, hey, this is what it means to be actively in the pursuit of, and it's funny, you said it earlier today, like dignity and meaning. Hmm. And, um, and, and so, so, I mean, all that stuff's out there. So I'm just going to assume that like, if people want backstory, they can get that elsewhere. I'm not going to ask you to like, where did you grow up, Greg? <laughs> well, I could tell the story of Flushing Queens one more time, but I appreciate the fact that you're, you'll let people look that up. That's great. And uh, yeah, Bart, it's it's great to talk to you. And and you know, and I and and, and I'll resist the, uh, the the temptation to interview you about your own background and your own podcast because I find that story fascinating. But yeah, sure, I, we can talk about whatever you're looking for. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I have all these friends that. Um, the people that that listen to this podcast are mainly sort of people that are coming into this secular goodness, humanist space, and and in many cases they're pretty isolated. You know, you got somebody who's out there on the prairies of Nebraska trying to to, to make it, and um, and they don't necessarily get to have all the kind of cool conversations that I get to have. Or that you might get to have 
because of the work that you're doing and the people that you know. And so sometimes I, I think like of these podcasts as like, I'm just going to call one of my friends. We're going to talk the way we always talk. And hopefully somebody else will go like, wow, it's sort of like I'm the third person at the table. And that, and, and, and then they get, they get to kind of, they get in on, they get to overhear some good stuff. Yeah. So here, so here, so, so, so without the backstory stuff, here's the thing I was thinking of when you were talking about the hub and all these meetings that are going on there. Um, it's like, how do you feel like having a space is affecting your humanist agenda or, or like what you're trying to do in the world? It has been enormous impact on our agenda. I, I, I just, it's really enabled us to transform who we are and what we are and what we do as a, as a community and, and what humanism is all about. People talk, have, have talked a lot about humanism, secularism, etc., coming out of the closet. You know, there's this, there's this openly secular campaign that's going on around the country right now that is a way of translating the idea of, of atheists coming out into more into language that that's not trying to appropriate the terms of the GLBTQ movement. But if there's coming out or being open, there's also what I would call coming out of the basement that for too long, humanists and atheists and agnostics and seculars have basically just been in the basement. They, when they meet at all that we tend to rent some, uh, it could even be a church basement, some elementary school basement, whatever it is, some dank and dingy space where you see adult humanists sitting around in these little orange uh, kindergarten classroom chairs hunched over trying to trying to get something done or, or, or have some kind of meaningful conversation. And it just it's it's sort of sad that, you know, you you come from a world where there are great places where people can go and, and, and gather and, and, and have meaningful conversations. And it's just been quite inspiring to have non-religious people uh, see what it's like to do the same in our own space. And, you know, people, really smart professional people who have busy schedules come and, and they even come fairly often uh, because it's just great to see your friends on a regular basis. And it's great to feel like you've got a place that you can go, uh, to, to work on projects with them. Now, now that's interesting. I mean, you know, when you're talking about like, it's trans, like kind of what humanism is all about, like mm -hmm. what is humanism all about when you're in a space? Hmm. Like, is it, is it all about like helping each other become better people or is it all about well, we, like, so, when we were coming up with a motto for the place, we, we came up with something that we really liked and, and that colors our uh, programming choices here. And um, the motto is connect, act, evolve. Three words, really simple. And it, it, it usually just about everything that we're doing here has some reference to one of those three words, if not more. So connect means the idea of just building community. The, the idea that um, it sucks to be isolated and American culture today creates an awful lot of isolation because we're spending more and more time online. We're spending more and more hours at work. We're so mobile that most of us are living in cities or towns um, or many of us at least are living in cities or towns that are far away from either some of our closest family 
or some of the closest friends that we've made over the years. And so one of the things that I think humanism can do for people in this generation is provide a space where they can gather virtual or real, physical, and just connect with people with whom they have like minds, with, with whom they feel uh, close and, you know, more likely to just agree on what kind of better world we want to build and, and just experience that on a regular basis. But then there's more to it than just connecting. The act is... Okay, but wait, wait. Let me stop you on connecting for a second. Sure. Yeah. Like, you know the old, uh, that, what's the movie line, if you build it, they will come. And, mm-hmm. and like, I'm sort of like, if you build it and they come, yeah. will they then connect? Like, do people just... Do you feel like people just naturally connect? Like you put them in a room together and they're like, oh, we know how to get along. Yeah, we've got a score trade. Because like I, I don't – my experience has been people suck at connecting. Well, yeah. I mean and and they do. I mean we do. I do. We, we all do. I, no, I don't. I'm really good, good at it actually. And, and that's – and I think non-coincidentally because you've had this lifetime of training and development in in – you know, what it takes to help people connect. And, you know, it's non-coincidental, furthermore, that one of the major insights that your lifetime of training has given you, Bart, is that it is so hard and people are often so bad at connecting. You know, people that don't have your experience in church often have way outsized expectations. They have way unrealistic expectations for how easy it's going to be to just bring a community together. You don't have that because you've seen churches and you know it's hard. Um, but I think that... So you know, what, do you, what do you... what I mean, like, in your situation, like, you, you're... Yeah. I know it's hard. Yeah. You, you're learning it's hard. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and so, so these people come in and you go, like... Yeah, I mean, like, you can put them all in a room together. That doesn't mean anybody's talking to each other, or right. it doesn't mean they're talking appropriately. And right. so, how, like, how are you, like, have you figured out a way, I mean, how proactive are you? Are you, like, walking up so- to next to people and saying, don't stand so close to that person? Or, <laughs> you know, like, like, don't ask that question right away. Do you find yourself actually personally coaching people or are you like doing things from the front where you're like teaching people basic conflict resolution skills and things like that? Like how are you helping this group of people that share value? They they may share ideas, but they don't necessarily connect easily. Yeah. I mean, I personally do some of that coaching. I, you know, that's, I I wish we'd have you as a here as a consultant because I think there's so much more of that kind of thing that could be done and, you know, not having, 30 years plus or whatever it would be, 40 years plus for you of, of uh, living and working in big churches. Uh, you know, I'm not always familiar with, you know, would it be a good idea right now to go up to that person and let them know that they should maybe not stand so close to that other person or not ask that question right away? I mean, those are, those are great examples because you just see it every day. We've had people in our community who really – uh, like one of the children at the Passover Seder, you know, just don't know what question to ask, just don't know how to participate. And we have even had to, you know, to, to talk to some people and say, look, you know, I really feel like you're struggling to relate to other people in the community and you're causing, you know, not meaning to, but people are reacting to you in some really negative ways. And I think for the time being, it might be better if you were to not attend certain meetings that we have here because we're trying to get a kind of, you know, very supportive atmosphere going. And, you know, these people may not really be that interested in, in a very supportive atmosphere. So we've done 
a good amount of curating already and there's so much more to be done. But that being said, you know, let's say, so we get together, we get together every Sunday is our biggest event here. Um, we have, uh, you know, a, the, you know, the equivalent of a service, but it's not a service, right? right? I mean, yeah. You know, we, we try to do like a little Ted talk type thing. That's something that, that will hopefully be inspiring to people. We do a little Q and a after it, before it, there's some music, there's some poetry, um, after it, we, we ask people to turn to each other and, and just, you know, meet new people and talk about something meaningful, which by the way, I mean, I know that there's some debate even in church circles about how good of an idea that is to do on a Sunday, but we've found it's quite valuable. Um, and then there's always food and there's drinks and there's just, you know, just a chance for people to hang out for about an hour or so after. And, um, we do that. And then a lot of the people that come to that also come Monday night as well, for a discussion group where there's no speaker and where the idea is we start out by saying, you know, let's share something about the past week of our lives and what was, you know, what was good about it, roses and thorns, we call it. Um, then we talk about whatever the, the issue of the, the week that we want to discuss is and kind of the, the purpose of that is to um, to learn about each other and about ourselves, not to educate about any factual topic and then we do, you know, we talk a little bit about what we're looking forward to and not looking forward to in our coming week. It's like a, and support, we put, it's like a support group for being a good human being. Yeah, exactly. And, and we really do make an effort there to give people a little bit of, you know, mutual coaching on what is effective participation and what's not. You know, we talk about helping each other to not dominate the conversation, helping each other to make sure everybody is heard, helping each other to make it a safe space for, for different views and making it more about emotional connection and awareness rather than intellectual facts. So, you know, we're not perfect at it, but we're, we're actively talking about this and working on it here. So here's the, I, I had this kind of sort of realization the other night when I was talking with some folks about what's happening in, in, in among the students that I'm working with here. Yeah. And I realized that there's something that what that, that sometimes what a community happens is what happens in, in a group of friends is that it's, it's almost like a dinner party where like I invite all my friends over to dinner. Right. And mm-hmm. they don't know each other, mm-hmm. but they all know me. Mm-hmm. And so if it's a bad, if I do a bad job, what happens is I end up like a hub at the center of the spoke and yep. I'm, I'm talking to this person and I talk to this person and everybody's kind of waiting for their chance to talk to the one person that they know. Yep. And a real community is much more like a spider web of yes. everybody's knowing everybody. But what I realize is, is a lot of times when people come to like a gathering, like that Sunday night thing, mm-hmm. In a sense, the the hub ends up being whatever's happening from the front. And so, like, people could come and you could have 50 people there and they're all relating to what's happening on the stage. And then afterwards, a lot of times, even if there's juice and cookies, um, they they talk to the people they came with or the people like. And so what I'm realizing is, is that I don't. What I'm having to, what I end up doing at those meetings now, and I'm, I'm thinking about like, what's funny is even I'm thinking about that person in Nebraska that doesn't exist that I told you about that like, sure. and I'm thinking like, if they manage to get eight humanists in the room or eight secular folks in the room to talk, I guess the one thing I'm realizing that I was trained to do that is really valuable is n- being the spider web builder where I'll take person, I'll take Joe and I'll walk him across the room and I'll say, 
hey, this is Mary. Like, you both know me. Yeah, This yeah. is why I think you should talk to each other. Absolutely. And then, Absolutely. But then this is the really weird thing that I didn't realize I would be doing is, after the meeting, like the next week, I'll call Joe and I'll say, what'd you think of Mary? And he'll be like, wow, she was really awkward. Like, or, you know, I guess <laughs> like she seemed really uncomfortable. Like, like, yeah, you know, like Mary actually just moved here from Cleveland and she doesn't know anybody and she's having, she's having a hellacious time. Hmm. And, and, and here's what's going. And you go like, oh my gosh, Bart, like you're a gossip. And I go like, I am. I realized that most of my good community building is this bizarre form of gossip where I well, you kind of you kind of get people's permission to share some of their story with other people, right? I mean, you know that that somebody comes in for me as a chaplain anyway, because I love that approach in in the sense that I, I absolutely I mean I've done so many introductions like that over the years, and I think a lot. I actually put a ton of time into thinking about who in the community should meet other, you know, should meet who and. And when could they meet each other? And when can we get them together? You know, can I spot them on, on different sides of the room and bring one person over to the other? Um, and, you know, but because I've been a chaplain for the last 10 years, there is, there is a lot of attention paid, in my experience, to confidentiality with chaplains. People come in and they tell me a lot about their lives. And I just try to kind of check with them about which parts of their stories they would feel comfortable with me sharing with other people. Um, so that I can go and do that effectively. I mean, I, what, what's the what's the worry here? You know, you're thinking like, uh, you know, no, that's a bad idea. No, to no. I mean, I, I think that's that's probably the right thing to do. I, I probably should do that more. Um, what I actually end up doing is, and and maybe this is the result. Like, when I was 25, I asked more questions. When I was 35, I asked a few questions. When I'm 52, I trust myself to know what I should and shouldn't share. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm really confidential, but I don't say like, you know, like, but what, here's the weird thing is what I end up doing a lot of times is not necessarily just connecting people that I think would be friends, but I'll have a difficult person and I'll mm. take somebody who's very relationally gifted and I'll say to them, the reason I introduced you to that guy is because he is really, sometimes at these meetings, if he sits next to the wrong person, he just monopolizes them and drives them away. And what I need you to do is like, I need you to pull him in and you may have to shut him down in a gentle way. So I want you to be friends with him so that you can shut him down if you need to or pull him away from somebody or, or, or redirect him. And, and it is, it's like, it, I'm, it's, it's kind of this thing you go like, oh my gosh, this is like social engineering. And is th this is something that you've done in churches as well. Yeah, absolutely. I used to do it as a youth leader all the time. You know, you're running because, a youth And I think that that could actually be very hopeful for an atheist and secular audience because what, what that says to me is we're not alone. We're not the only ones who have to deal with this. We're not the only ones who create groups where sometimes people walk in and they're just awkward and you've got to figure out a way to oh, deal with it. Oh, hell no. You know what it is? And if we're going to compete with, with the religious communities out there and do something better, then we've got to, we've got to get good at these techniques. I, yeah. I, I, you know, it's not so much a matter of like anybody that holds anybody that evangelism, mm -hmm. as it were, from my old world, you know, the word evangel means good news. Yeah. Anybody that holds up a sign that says, we're trying to live life in a more intentional, 
and meaningful way, like your life will be better with us than without us. That's a form of good news. And, and the people that you're going to attract, at least some of them are going to be people who the reason they're attracted to this group is because like the way their lives are working out there in the real world isn't going very well for them. Yeah. And so you're any group that sort of creates a sense of warmth, solidarity, purpose, meaning you're going to draw like, you know, you're going to draw some, uh, hold up a light and you will draw some insects. Um, so, so this is interesting to me in, in the sense that, um, I received my training, my ordination through a humanist institution. Right? 15 years ago, I began studying to be a secular humanist rabbi. Before that, I had you know explored Buddhism and Taoism and whatever, but I had never been in a, in a you know truly an active member of a religious congregation that met regularly, much less a leader in it. Right, right. So I've come to it through through this movement, and I've, I've had a lot of different thoughts about how this movement could be different than what it is, and some of those have been very informed by my experiences in many different religious communities over the years, but you've actually lived for most of your life in religious communities. So now that you're doing this in a secular setting, you know, how is it differing? How is the experience of pulling somebody aside and helping them to be a better part of the community for themselves and for others, how is that similar and how is it different than your experiences doing that in, in a church? It starts out different, and if I do it right, it ends up similar. And here's what how I mean. How's, it, what, how's the difference? It starts out different because in the Christian world, when I was doing this, there's this presumption that we're all trying to help each other become more like Jesus. And, and that, and that part of that means I am responsible for you. Like I'm supposed to be advancing your life. Like you're my, you know, the old joke is like, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, Oh, of course I am. Like I'm responsible to help you grow. And, and, you know, there's hierarchies, you know, there's mentors and mentees and discipleship and all these things. But the idea is, is that there's this shared, there's, there's a clear understanding that we're part of this group, not just to talk, not just to think new ideas. This isn't about education. This is about growth, personal growth. When somebody comes into a, a secular fellowship, a lot of times there's not a clear understanding. Like I, maybe this is a Richard Dawkins um, book group. You know, maybe this is a civil rights, um, you know, protection group. Um, right. And, and maybe it's even a way to, to, to talk so intellectually, not even because that's what that's the greatest thing to do in the world. But because for some of us who are smart people, but who've had really difficult childhood experiences, mm-hmm. really difficult, painful things that we've gone through in this world, being that smart person who gets to display their smart, you know, tendencies, uh, their, their, their intellectual abilities, that's a way of protecting ourselves. Yeah. That's a way of, of helping ourselves feel better when, when the world seems like it makes us, you know, like it wants us to feel worse. And so you've actually got to ask smart people sometimes to take a step back from what they know and take a step into their heart. What they feel. And what they feel. What they feel. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that that's actually, I mean, we've got a developmental psychologist here who looks at personality style and atheism and suggests that this is a problem that actually comes up more often in atheist circles than, than elsewhere. And, um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's just very interesting to me that that's, but so, okay. So, so once, our, once we, our, once the we make the shift, once we make the yeah. shift and go like, Oh no, 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 like this isn't like what's funny here at UFC. They changed the name of the group from a club to a fellowship mm-hmm. because fellowship was a word that suggested, oh, we're going to be looking after each other. Yeah, there are Christian fellowships. There are academic fellowships. Right, they're, they're right. the same kind of thing. They're like, oh, we are fellows, whether we're men or women. We, yep. we, we share this, this thing and, and, and we're responsible for each other. We're trying to advance each other in a direction. And so once the group understands like, oh, I'm, I'm, we're, we're going to look after each other. We're going to try to make each other better people so that then collectively we can have a better impact on the world. Then all of a sudden when I come over and say, hey, this guy's really got some social, he needs to be here. But he's got he, he's got some social awkwardness. You're really gifted socially. So what I'm going to ask you to do is not to hang with the people that you would normally hang with and have a good time tonight. I'm going to ask you to kind of shepherd this guy through the evening. The person goes like, "Oh, this is part of my humanism. This our way of it." And all of a sudden, what they realize is, is like, "Oh, I had I had one kid look at me and go." When I first came to USC, I thought secularity and secular humanism was a way of thinking. But now I see it's a way of life. Yeah, way of being. And it's a way of being. It's a way of being with people. And so once you get people going like, oh, I see, my responsibility is not just to help each other grow, but also to help this group cohere. And so like heading this person off at the pass, or this is a very shy, wonderful person. If we can make her feel comfortable early on, Mm-hmm. She'll stay and thrive. But if, if the, her first meeting sucks, we're doomed. She'll never come back. Yeah. And so I will call people ahead of the meeting and saying, I'm, there's this new young woman. She's going to come for the first time. Her name is this. This is her, this is her thing. Like, I want you to look for her. And then they'll come up and they'll say to the, say, they'll go like, Hey, excuse me. Are you, are you Patricia? And, and, and she'll go like, yeah. And they're like, oh, Bart told me you were going to be here. I'm so glad you came. And the person, you know, you go like, what is it? Well, what does that make them feel? And what it makes them feel is I was excited about enough about them calling to tell some coming to tell somebody this person's excited about wants to be there. And so their chances of being enfolded are so much better than even if the person walks up and says, hi, are you new here? What's your name? Like, and so you go like. I'm en- I think I'm always trying to engineer this experience where somebody feels like, wow, these people really care about not just me, but they care about creating an atmosphere that works for all of us. Yeah. Now, I mean, I, I love it. And I think this is a conversation that you and I are having right now that was almost unfathomable in the humanist movement a decade ago because we were so far behind in in terms of what kinds of organizations we had. You know, people almost didn't even see the value of gathering locally 
10 years ago. Um, you know, human, the conversation about humanism publicly was, was really just about primarily about, you know, sort of a few downtrodden humanists against the world. And it, there's so much more possibility there now. You know, now I think there are just many, many, many more thousands of people that I've come into some kind of contact with that, that say, like, look, you know, I, I'd like to be part of something cool. I, I'd like to be part of something meaningful. Um, I don't know if I want to attend something every week. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. Maybe at times I will. Maybe at times I totally won't. But, but I'd like to be part of something where there are great people around and they're doing something meaningful and it is humanistic. And But I want it to be good. You know, it's it's like there's this assumption that for, for a lot of groups that I've seen that if you just just put up a, a banner almost literally and you print the word humanism in any font whatsoever, um, you know, on, on the crappiest paper and you just get anyone together, you know, you count maybe like, oh, well, we had six people or we had 17 people or whatever. Like you're accomplishing something sustainable and, and that will change the world. But it actually it really requires the kind of stuff that you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, this, this to me is the future of, of the humanist movement is, is what kind of impact can we have on each other's lives and experiences day to day. That, and that's the interesting thing is like, I'm really interested in changing lives, believing that changed lives will ultimately lead to change systems and change worlds. Uh, you know, you got to do both ends, but, but I, I do, I, I'm finding myself thinking, one of the things I'm realizing out here at USC is that, that isolation that you talked about where people have moved across the country and boy, that's, you know, that's everywhere. And sometimes you say, well, then we'll have a big gathering and 400 people will come to it and everyone will feel connected. And the problem is, is that that's not, they, people want the show sometimes they want to go to a good event, but what people are really hungry for are these small integrated groups of friends, like 10 or 12 people who who get together fairly frequently in various forms, but they, that I know this sounds funny, but that talk about each other. Yeah. They talk about each other. Really good social theory that that backs this up. Um, There's something called um, the life raft or life boat. Uh, Hold on. I I might have to email you later and you can put a link to to this podcast with it. But, um, but basically I've been looking at studies of friendship in America and what it suggests is that people really need, you know, 10 or 12 close friends um, in their lives whose lives they follow where, where you can kind of drop everything yes. occasionally yes. to get together with those people, you know, as opposed to just sort of having 400 contacts where you're trying to, you know, you run into somebody on the street and you kind of know they're cool and they kind of know you're cool. And so you, you get out your, your smartphones and you're saying, all right, let's schedule something. And you're like, what about next Wednesday? No, next Wednesday's out. And you just, you know, my, my mom used to, to have this uh, New Yorker cartoon hung up where, you know, a guy on the phone like, no, Tuesday's out. How about never? Is never good for you? That's great. And it's just so frustrating, right? Like we try to connect with everybody and you can't. But you also don't want to get stuck with this this thing where you're only connecting with your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend or like one or two close friends because then you get really isolated. They're not going to be able to hang out with you all the time. And it puts too much pressure on those relationships. Exactly. Like they've got to be all perfect now. And, and, and when your wife or husband or spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend 
or best friend or best couple friends, when they inevitably do something that you don't like or when you inevitably do something that you don't, you know, that they don't like because nobody's perfect, then you're all stressed out because now you've got nobody to connect with. We do need more friendships than that. We need, like, like this study of, of, the, of one's life raft uh, has shown, you need about 10, 12 close friends yeah, that you can actually make a sacrifice on their behalf. And you know what else that group does? That, and this is really important is, is that my true self, my identity, you know, is something that in some ways is, is waiting to be discovered and in other ways is waiting to be created. Um, and, and, and like the science would say, you know, there's nature and there's nurture and there's these things. But what I know is, is that my true identity only gets identified and only gets realized in community. So mm-hmm. that like my, if I'm a nurturer, I need a small group of people where, where people go like, oh, Bart's the guy in our group you go to for this. And then somebody else like is a maven of information and their strength, bec- like, like it's almost like a football team where we're playing different parts. Mm-hmm. But like you can't be a quarterback if there isn't an offensive line and a wide receiver, and you can't be a wide receiver if there isn't a quarterback. And so it's in these life, life graft size groups of people, 10 or 12 or 15 people, you know, where people fi- figure out like, this is who I am. This is how I contribute in the world. And so what's ironic is, is that I can't find my individuality except in the context of a group. And the group won't thrive unless individual members are playing different parts. And so that's where I think like, like when you think about your Sunday night thing, I wouldn't care if that grew to be 5,000 people and it was like the mega hub. Like I'd be thrilled by that, but I would know that it wasn't a 5,000 person community. That what it was is it was a big community singles bar where people come and find their 12 people. Yeah. And then, and then hopefully stuff that's going on on the stage will, will give me ideas and things to talk about and skills and challenges so that collectively we go like, man, everybody in this group is in a circle like mine. Yeah. We all have these values in common. So when it comes time to protest against the shooting in South Carolina, we can, we can make that happen because I, I know 50 circles of people that care. Yeah. But when it comes to like talking about what's going on in my marriage, I've got 12 people that, that being a part of the fellowship has helped equip me. I've got some people that know me. Yeah. And the technology, the social technology to create that, uh, that kind of group dynamic where you can go big or you can go small, where you can have large groups of people who are gathering to do some of the you know, the more public work, whether Collective it's protests yeah. or getting educated, but then you can kind of shrink down and you can go to the small circles within it. I mean, that's, to me, that's very much what I want to see happening more and more at the Humanist Hub. I think that it is happening. I see, you know, groups of people that are getting together regularly, inviting each other over to dinner, et cetera, et cetera, but that do also come to some of the bigger stuff that we do. Yeah. But the social technology, in my experience, is still very much in development. And... Um, I think, you know, that's why I was so excited when we were able to recruit you into the humanist movement, because I just think that the experience of having done it over and over and over again to the point where it's almost a routine 
is something that is really needed in in this movement, um, both because people haven't really thought of it as a priority before, but even because people like myself who have thought of it as a priority before haven't necessarily lived every aspect of it. And so we're, we're just getting started. I, I look forward to this being a really ongoing dialogue as we get hopefully better at each step along that journey and and also as we struggle. I mean, we can't pretend that we're not going to screw this up often. (laughs) There are definitely people that, you know, for every new person, hopefully the ratio is more like, you know, for every couple of new people that come to the Humanist Hub and have a pretty good experience and say, yeah, that was cool. I want to come back. I want to get involved. I want to be part of this. Maybe we'll only have one person that will come and say, man, they're really screwing this up. That doesn't work for me. I'm, I'm not coming back or I'm probably not going to come back for a while or whatever. I mean, we're definitely still producing people who have that experience, unfortunately. We may never stop. We're, we're trying to lower our ratio of people that we're giving that kind of experience yeah. to. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, you were talking about the technology and I would say like one of the things like that, that we're trying to figure out, like even this podcast, like I don't know how to do a podcast. Like, <laughs> I don't know if this is a good podcast. Like, like we're going to, like, I, I, you know, I'm looking at the clock and I'm going, oh, we're supposed to stop talking now. Um, you know, and if it's you and me, we just keep going. Right. But I think that on some level, this actually is like a one conversation. Like we had a discrete idea here. Yep. And that is this idea. And, and, and if people are, you know, if, if anyone else is overhearing us, like, I don't know if they'll agree, but I think you and I agree that, that there's a kind of, relational experience that people need to have dignity, to have meaning, to find their identity, to experience the good life, to be what Robert, you know, what Robert Ingersoll would say, you know, to be happy um, in that deep way. And, and I think that hopefully secular leaders, and, and, and even that means like a person who starts having a regular dinner party at their house for 10 of their friends, like, that they'll go like, you know what, engineering a group and trying to create that network is is legitimate work. Like like it's okay to 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 you know to to be purposeful and to go like, wait, you're saying that there are people out there in the world and my goal for them should be if they don't have that kind of circle of friendship to try to to try to say and do and work on projects and have speakers and have hand out books like so that a year from now more people have those kind of relationships that's humanism and i go like that's not all of humanism but yeah that's that's a that that's a part of of, of really building the tribe hmm. well uh i mean all i can really say is that i that's what i want to be doing yeah that's and that's what you are doing that that's that's um that's what I was, I've been looking for partners on for, you know, feels like half my life now. So it's just, um, you know, I, if I I can't help but think that there's gotta be some people out there that are listening in to this and that are thinking, you know, humanism, you know, man, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, uh, how to have an argument with, uh, with a religious person, you know, that this is, this is way off the, the deep end of, of what I'm interested in when I think of humanism. But, you know, to that person, I would just say, well, all right, there's a lot of good books out there for, for there are many podcasts for you, many podcasts, you know, but, but for those that actually really want to have a community to build a community, I mean, I, I just, I'm excited to get to work with them and, and with you. Yeah. Yeah. I am too. And you know, the funny thing is too, like 
I every, every now and then I get in these debates with people. Um, and what they always say is like, the most dangerous thing about you in a debate is that you're so nice. <laughs> and, and, and I think that like, that's the other thing that will come out of these groups of people that process their lives together. Yeah. Is it, it isn't that there'll be any less reasonable or that they'll be any less frustrated with when supernaturalism comes to mess with them. Right. Right. It's just that they will, they will be drawing out of a, out of a kind of a, a depth of well-being and secure personal security that will enable them to make their points um, in in that super gracious way. I mean, everybody tells me about uh, oh, who's it? Neil deGrasse Tyson, who I know you know, but, sure, right? And like you say to yourself, why is Neil deGrasse Tyson so special? And you go like, yeah, he's smart, but there are a lot of smart people. Yes. He's- he, you know, because you, you want to listen to that's, him. He's right? warm. He, he, he's right. I mean, he feels like a friend, and and that's what people need. I mean, so yeah, if you if you say something in a way that makes you feel like somebody's enemy, yeah, it's not going to be as effective. And not only does he feel like a friend, he feels like he has friends. Yeah. So there's that, and also in terms of the efficacy of humanism and how we can make more of a political impact, and blah blah blah. You know, which I take very seriously, by the way. It's also, you know, if you if you encounter somebody and they say, well, what's humanism? And all you can point to is a poster with with bullet point arguments, you know, tons of for tons of reasons, that's not going to be as persuasive to them as if you could say, well, here, I've got this community of people right over here. Check them out. Look at them. They're great. They're great people separately. And look at their interaction together. They're even greater together. That's humanism. Those are atheists and agnostics. That person, I think, is going to be incredibly persuaded by that. If you you walk in a room where a bunch of really nice atheists and agnostics are are putting the, you know packaging meals or care packages or you know are going out to do you know to to stand in line and be at a protest for uh, you know for this recent South Carolina shooting that's so frustrating and angering and and horrible you know if you see the people doing that and you want to be around them and you're not sure what humanism is that i think is the most persuasive thing that you can possibly see as to you know why you should become a humanist as we used to say in the old days amen to that ramen to that (laughs) perhaps perhaps. all right Uh, i'm gonna let you go i'm gonna let the people that are listening to us go and I hope you enjoyed this wonderful podcast. To me, it was full of wonder. Love you. Love you, Bart. Talk Take to you care. Later. Thanks right, so much. All right. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The lights might do a little dance tonight. One time for the nighttime. One time for my town.